here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey, lovers. Probably the number one question that I get asked by students or strangers is around squirting. (laughs) How do I do it? Is it pee? Can everyone with a pussy do it? And I laugh not because this is an outrageous question to ask, because it's not. People want to know how to have better, more satisfying sex. We grew up either watching porn or just figuring it out as we went along, but it's not necessarily what we desire or what we need, what we authentically need. And what I do find funny is the fascination for the squirt, almost like it's this party trick to learn and show off and prove your competency in sex or value as a lover. There is so much that we can discover about our bodies and about sex. And when we approach it from not so much an an achievement standpoint, but from one that's more mm, playful, uh, explorative, you know, this, let's see what we can learn. (laughs) It can really keep sex novel and fun and something to look forward to rather than something that we get bored with or we lose the motivation for because it's the same thing every time. So today's episode, we're getting into exactly this. I've got Kenneth Play here, (laughs) literally by his last name. We're going to get playful. (laughs) And he's going to share with us some techniques for face sitting, oral sex, flow states as you're romping around and navigating the gray zone in consent. And if that doesn't get you excited, I I don't know what to do. (laughs) This whole episode is full of skills and breaking them down in a way that it's accessible, which is exactly how I like to teach as well. So I really appreciate this conversation with Kenneth and the way that he portrays sex and the way that we can evolve ourselves in it. Now, for those of you who really want to cultivate your erotic skills, and that's the Eroticism is the fusion of imagination and creativity in your sexual play. Then I've opened my erotically undone six-week course for all of you fen babes. I'm already calling you bays. (laughs) This is my favorite course that I've created today, and it will be now available for you to take at your own pace. I firmly believe that good sex and cultivating those skills do take time and they definitely take devotion. Repetition is the sauce. (laughs) And we don't rush our orgasms, neither do we rush our pleasure and our sex. So this course, what I love about it is that you can take it at your own time and you can go back to practices and back to concepts over and over and over again. Sometimes the concept, you know, we're presented with an idea and maybe... (laughs) Maybe you've experienced this in therapy where your therapist will tell you something and then it won't click until a few months down the line or a couple of years down the line. And then you're like, oh, there's that thing. And then we start doing it a lot more because we're aware of it. It's in our conscious awareness, but then it takes that time to click. Same with sex. It takes that time and it takes that consistent practice. So if you've been desiring to experience orgasms for yourself or 
embody the archetype of the seductress. If you want to reach transcendent states in sex and develop a deep devotion to your own body and your own inner landscape, then this program is for you. It's trauma-informed and it's fused with my trainings in sex psychology, neo-tantra, BDSM, energy work, sensuality, and so much more to give you a very robust and accessible experience. Want to have the best sex of your life, whether that's with a partner or with your fine, sexy-ass self, then I've got you. The link is in the bio. So be sure to go and check that out. Also, be sure to click subscribe and share this episode. Leave me a sexy review on iTunes or Spotify. All of that is going to help others to find me and what I'm so passionate to share about. Now, get your notebook out because Kenneth is about to drop some sex knowledge on us and I'm so here for it. Kenneth Play is an international sex expert and sex educator and author of the new book, Beyond Satisfied, which, side note, is really informative, really fun, and very playful. (laughs) And he was also named the world's greatest sex hacker by GQ. Not a small title by any small magazine at all, but who's comparing sizes anyway? (laughs) I'm really happy to have you on. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you today. It's going to be a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So if we start here, you've been named this, uh, you know, greatest sex hacker and hacker is such a buzzword. That's like, I've heard biohacking and I've heard neurohacking and crypto hacking. Well, okay. Kidding. Crypto hacking is probably something entirely different, (laughs) but what is sex hacking? And is this like, cheat codes for winning at sex or what are we talking about here? I think the tradition of sex hacking has been happening throughout human history. So you look at like an Indian tradition of doing Kama Sutra to Shibari, Japanese bondage art to like the Victorian era when they figure out a vibrator works. I think that's <laughs> one of that's one of their greatest sex hacks that probably induce more orgasm than any other sex hack that people have discovered. So people have been finding new ways to enhance sex throughout human history. So I'm sort of a collector and an inventor and collecting some of the best sex hacks that I could possibly find, mixing you know ancient practices to the latest science. So I just like to put them together and make it more accessible for everyone and make it easier yeah. to both interpret, more practical, and people could try it and experience it for themselves. Yeah, I really like that about you. And I'm similar too of taking these concepts or these uh, complex concepts around sex and really breaking them down so they're understandable. Because we see so much in social media, you know, these memes around just surrender or just orgasm or, you know, just let go, whatever. And it's like, well, how the fuck do I do that? (laughs) Yeah. I love teaching the how. I think the how to part is really like so important, but most of the time we just give prescription, like communicate, 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 but yeah. you, if you don't know how to communicate or you're not comfortable or you go like, where do I start? I think most people um, stop themselves from communicating because they don't know what the right word to use. So mm-hmm. it's not necessary. They have to follow a, a recipe or exact, you know, instruction, but it's a great place to start if you are learning something. 
So the stages of learning matter. So giving people a framework in the beginning is useful mm-hmm. until they no longer need it. So I, I like that approach better than, you know, just feel just doesn't do it. work. It doesn't work that <laughs> well either. Yeah. 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 And for how many of us and trying something new, something novel is vulnerable. You know, we go into this and we're not sure if it's going to work out. We're not sure if we're going to like it. We're not sure if our partner is going to like it. And so sometimes we avoid trying new things because we don't want to be in the place of, of, um, I'm a new newbie. <laughs> yeah. I might fail. <laughs> I love teaching the concept of having a play lab where people are like, have an intentional practice space because, you know, they're not, uh, they're not doing a live performance so they have to do it like perfectly, but if they negotiate a time where they are intentionally purposely trying something new, then they're less at stake of all the failures is or learning curve or trial and error is expected. So I think separating from like you just, you know, playing, having sex or versus like a play lab where you have yeah. intentional like framework around it. Yeah, it it's like a container. Try to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And even those words really help us with that intention. Play is something where oh, we're going to have fun. We're going to try something out. And and lab is a very like, let's experiment with something and see if it works and have a hypothesis and then check in afterward to see if that is something we want to keep or not. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, you've said about so sex hacking and uh, and you're talking about these skills and everything. How important do you think it actually is for uh, for techniques in satisfying sex? Well, I compare it to like cooking. So there's a million ways to make eggs delicious, right? And there's definitely terrible ways to fuck it up. <laughs> but most people are born hungry, but they don't necessarily know how to cook. So yeah. I think there's some really dependable go-to recipe that majority of the population like. Like I like combining there's uh, OMG Yes research to saying, hey, here is the preference level of all this mm-hmm. variation. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know what someone like, or most people don't even know what they like. So where do you yeah. start, right? But starting with the most popular is a good idea. So I think combine, like, how do you try out new technique? You could go like, if you don't know, try out the most popular one and work your way down because mm-hmm. you're not going to start with nipplegasm where right. I don't know how many centers of the population have those experiences. You could, uh-huh. right? but you're not going to start with that. So, so I love the idea of, of using technique as like, this is how you make food a certain way, but not everybody's going to like it, but it's a good place to start. Uh huh. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, as you're saying, techniques is a good place to start. I tend to approach from more of the, um, let's learn how to get in your body and to feel first before we introduce technique. Uh, because then it's almost like the technique becomes mechanical. <laughs> yeah. I, I, one time I remember in the beginning was when I was too obsessed with technique, uh, this lover told me my, her orgasm was as mechanical as opening a can of beans. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> actually great feedback for me. Like I really learned from, from that because I was like in the analytical mind. So it was like more attached to the technical part. So I could totally relate, but I think most of the time when we talk about technique, most people are thinking something like movement based or, or technical. 
Mm-hmm. Like just the, how you get someone to feel something is the technique itself. Yeah. Like how do you drop into your body? Like we started this podcast with taking a breath. Do you yeah. consider taking a breath a technique, right? Yeah, so I just, yeah. or, or a hack. So I just think there is a, there is certain practices that allow us to get to that, you know, to get after something that we, we're looking for. Yeah. And in humans have trial and error sex so much. There's such mm-hmm. a like, there's such a pool of um of wisdom and knowledge out there and it just they're like aggregating it so people could use it because it's 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 fascinating to me. I totally nerd out on it. Oh, me too. I nerd out on it too. Love this shit. So what would you say are the components that make up like the great art of sex or um satisfying sex? Like how would you uh prioritize or how would you lay that out for someone? Um, so it starts with what you talk about, like it starts with feel. So you have to feel, feeling has two different components. You could like use your senses that you're externally feeling something or you have interoception, you're feeling your own sensation, your own breath inside your body. So I think it starts with, and you, in, you have to kind of get your sensor activated. Like if you don't, you can't read the signal externally or internally, you can't really like make adjustment, right? The second part, I think really make good sex after you feel your external or internal experiences is the, your ability to calibrate. Like, do I like it faster or slower? Do I want to move it to the left or move it to right? Like it, it's a big difference. Like one centimeter off the spot is off the spot. So <laughs> to be able to communicate, hey, a little bit to the left or like just physically move it is super important. Yeah. I think we are very, actually most of us are pretty good uh, calibrator when it comes to sensation like when you have an itch on your back we're really good at telling people where to scratch it and how where to get it how but we just don't translate that skills to sex so calibrating to me is that you know you have an itch in the back and you're asking someone a little higher and then you move your body towards it and then you get it just right in that case um, and then after that you get into flow when you are no longer thinking about your technical part uh, mm-hmm. when you're not like trying to, you're not trying to consciously think of how you're moving. Mm-hmm. So you get into this flow state, which I think is erotic flow state that has been written in so many different ways. But I, the analogy I used on the book is sort of like surfing. You kind of have to feel the water first, then you have to find your balance is how you calibrate. Then you stop riding the waves because I think so much of pleasure is like the ocean, it kind of just moved the way it moves. Like you can't yeah. make yourself go to sleep, right? You kind of have to ride it. And the third part is play uh, where you have, you get to be creative and you get to express yourself fully. Mm. So, so I think those components are really important. And also I think Betty Martin's model where you're combining, combining tactile data, mm-hmm. like the sensation you feel and and the erotic context, like what really arouses you with this, the energy vibing, is it a DS relationship? Is it like in the moment you're so in love, whatever the erotic context is, yeah. and you combine that with attention, which I think a lot of tantric practice focuses on is like, can you actually put all your bandwidth, all your experience into this experience? Mm-hmm. So if you could combine, I think those two things together, that's when magic happens. Yeah. 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 And the way that you break it down like that, I think makes it so much more digestible for a person. You know, again, we go into, and I, I heard you reference DS or dominant submission um, or even top bottom roles in sexual play. It's like, if we're not accustomed to that, we're not in a community of that. We're not seeing that as uh, reference points. 
that may be very daunting for us to look at and be like, how the fuck do I dig there? I don't know. Or we try to go into it and we say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so here you're breaking that down and, and it makes a lot of sense to me. When I first started doing Shibari work, it was very, I was in my head trying to fit the techniques and it wasn't until I got, you know, into a rhythm with that and it became more of a um, automatic uh, automatic, um, action that I could drop into the flow or the trance or the, you know, the creativity of it after. So when I was researching the book, one of, one of the things I was trying to compare is to like, what makes a good lover? Like, what can I compare it to that people understand? And what I realized that really good fighters are mm-hmm. really good a dancer, fighter, dancer, but fighter, especially because you have to act, you cannot like be too angry or too yeah. wild up, right? Too much sympathetic, but you can't be too relaxed that you are sleepy. Like you have to be there. <laughs> so like yeah. this balance of like being alert and relaxed, but able to activate like both, right? To relax and to hearten at will. And it's so amazing. And also it really combines with the whole learning curve because in the beginning you when you hone a skill, you have to drill. So you have to go through that stage of learning when you, well, first you don't even know that you lack competency. Then you go to the stage, the mechanical stage, how Bruce Lee talked about it. You have to go do that period. So I think we we don't want to feel awkward or go do the mechanical stage. So like to your Shabari story, there is a period when you feel a little bit more mechanical, do I, how I adjust to it. But once you pass that stage, you, you get to the stage where you don't even have to pay attention to the competency or you mm-hmm. in, in this place, you could flow again. So mm-hmm. I really think it's important that we teach people to go through that learning curve, that whole learning uh, journey in sex, mm-hmm. because it's okay to embrace the awkward in the play lab stage. So you could get to the stage where you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. But it's not that much investment. That's the craziest thing. Like you just have to pay attention, learn how not to overcook an egg once. <laughs> then you don't have to think about it all the time. But if you fuck it up every time, it's dry ass egg all day. So <laughs> dry ass egg all day. Yeah. I think what's also really important during that time, um, as you know, as we're moving through the awkwardness is to even learn how to regulate our nervous system. So yeah, when we're awkward is we're probably not as, uh, regulated. We're not as calm. We're a little more heightened in that activation. So even just being able to slow the breath down or Mm. ground to one into our own touch may help to, to curb the edge edginess of that. Mm, Yeah. Do you have a favorite technique that you like or a sex hack that you like? I think there's a couple of different ones I was thinking about what to share. So I give you a little bit of a range. So I love teaching uh, squirting technique and female ejaculation, not to overglorify a party trick, because I think that happens yeah. a lot in porn and society. But there's one really important distinction, like especially the technique that I show in the book about how uh, there's two, I mean, there's, there's many, ver- many types of nerve endings, but you have your somatic nerve and you have your visceral nerve and they function differently. But once you gain that understanding that like how to produce internal pressure and also how to be with your partner and how to receive that sensation, that is such an important lesson on the different system, just like how prostate wants to be touched is different than how the head of your penis wants to be touched and the mm-hmm. state that you have to be in. So I think learning that technique will really open. And also you could combine because you could have your palm rubbing the clitoris as you rock the G spot, but it's not exactly just a spot. 
is the, the network or nerve that you get to stimulate at the same time. But why I brought up that technique is I think it's actually more important to teach people how to um, be in a receptive state for the, for yeah. the receiver and how to focus uh, how to focus for the giver to like tune mm-hmm. in to your partner. So I think synchronizing that is is really important. And one of the the one of the most fascinating lessons that I learned from Barry Commerce uh, um, uh, he wrote the book The Science of Orgasm. And when I interview him for the book, he talks about how those those internal nerves, right, for their internal sensation. And because of the hypergastric and vagus nerve, and especially the vagus nerve, how it just kind of like is wandering, is not on your spine, it's throughout your mm-hmm. whole body. Mm-hmm. But it's the same pathway that you feel your emotion, like the motion part of your emotion. So when you have a feeling, you also have a physical manifestation of that feeling. So when you cry or you cringe or you belly laugh, mm-hmm. like those are when those nerves is activated. So what I realized when teaching squirting, not necessarily just the, the waterworks, right? But the, the technique itself, it, it forces you to learn, one, to to associate that sensation because that sensation could kind of feel like you have to pee a little bit, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's not exactly. And then if you if you tense up and you like, oh, you you attach that sensation with shame or I don't want this, then you're not in the right erotic state, right? So you have to go like that sensation is good. Yeah. And learn to feel that sensation. So there's a lot of coaching around the sensation. And one of the most beautiful part about what uh, Barry taught me is that the same, um, the same, your ability to feel all your emotions, right? That same nerve network is as important on feeling your sexual sensation. So if you allow your body to fully feel all your emotion and not have any inhibitory system, camp, mm-hmm. camping it down, when you could truly allow, let go, and surrender like truly that's when mm-hmm. that technique actually works so i just like that as a as a lesson because it really encompasses all their all the different components and what i want people to understand but it's not really intellectual understanding as a you feel it in your body so when yeah. i need to tap into that state and when i get into that sensation and allow my feelings to run through me right yeah and that's how and it's beautiful like how those nerves are as the signal, like as this orgasmic energy, right, floating up, it, it feels like your whole body because it's just a wandering nerve. I'm like, oh, there's an actual science around the chakra, all those stuff. Oh, it makes <laughs> sense because you do have to be open yeah. fully in order to feel all of it. So I just found that so fascinating. So the squirting technique with the coaching. So not just the technical part, but how to put it all together is one of my yeah. favorite sex that's beautiful. And and so when you're saying to be able to feel your emotions and how that impacts our ability to, uh, to feel uh, the sexual pleasure, orgasm, um, you're also referencing to all genders, right? Or are yes, you just referring yes. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, it, the only difference between like male and female anatomy that I find fascinating is that the vagus nerve where it sits in male body is like way deeper into the anal cavity. That's why there's like those massive toys and things because you can reach quite like if you're not high enough. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going like, oh, well, this is why they made all those toys because it's like you, you can't really get a comparable cervical sensation. 
Uh, to female body if it's not all up in there so I'm like oh it all makes sense now (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny I I came across a meme um where uh it was Cher and she was like she was acting like God and she was like haha I put the uh, g-spot in the in the in the ass of the guy she's like I cracked myself up and it's just so funny (laughs) to think about the anatomy of all that Yeah. yeah 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 See, I love this. I love this conversation because this is something I talk a lot about with my male clients and students of like how important it is for them to develop that relationship with their emotions too. And they're like, well, no, I'm functioning just fine. I'm like, yeah, well, it can also amplify your sexual pleasure and your orgasmic potential. And then they're like, I'm interested. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Yes. They're missing half of the equation sometimes because if you talk about from like a yin and yang perspective or like their parasympathetic side, like how to receive, because I think most straight men could live their entire life, like feel perfectly fine with their sex life where they have never have a prostate orgasm, like any internal sensation, but they wouldn't necessarily like prone to explore that, but it's such an important lesson to feel it in your own body because then you go like, oh, it does require anal level trust with someone, doesn't it, <laughs> to be penetrated? So, so then you could receive more, and you do need to be in that state in order to feel it. And I think it would create create such high level empathy to your partner if you have their own experience in your body, and it has nothing to do with like it just to do with our anatomy and how it lays like how it lays out on your body so i think all their 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 attachment to sexual orientation or gender expression has complete nothing to do with it besides the biology itself and to feel something on the other side you know it's, it's just the same muscle that it requires you to be tough right and there's the same another muscle that it requires you to be vulnerable to have to have their flexibility to access both, I think is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of association with um, our anus being attached to fear and primal. And um, and I know in yogic tradition, that's the root, or close to the root. And so there's so mm-hmm. much related to survival and, and feeling safe and trust in that mm-hmm. space. I have one more sex hack that your audience might really like in regarding Ooh, tell that. Tell us. Uh, yes. That it's a little bit more practical because that's all theory. So their pure, uh, the Android Pure One, which is super popular, is their moon shape, one bigger ball and one in smaller end. So if you ha- own a prostate, it's really uh, easy to. So you use your penis as like the arousal pump, right? You know how to work your penis, watch your favorite porn, whatever. Get yourself to the highest arousal state possible on the edging mm-hmm. side. Yeah. And then once you're almost there, you arouse enough. And we're, <laughs> I forgot what that research is. Once we're sexually aroused, we're willing yeah. to try a lot more things yes. when we're aroused. Yes. The threshold so of get, disgust yeah, decreases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. To get that decrease. That's one of the sex hacks, right? And then you are more open for butt stuff because you're like, oh, they already. So then try their enjoy one, the smaller end for most, you know, uh, uh, first time butts. So, and then what you do is you rock their toy until you really feel it. It feels kind of like, like a stomach ache, but not exactly. It could kind of feel good. But if you're aroused enough, that sensation could turn to a more pleasurable experience. So if you are stimulating the toy, you basically want to lower your penile stimulation as you get closer to the edge. And you want the prostate sensation to tip you over on the orgasm. 
So you build up enough arousal with your penis, and but yes. slow it down just in case, and then add more prostate stimulation until, and you keep lowering and adding on the other side until it tips you over to orgasm. Yeah. While your butt, is, while your prostate is coming on that those nerves, yeah. then start stroking your penis really fast right after, and you could have a back to back orgasm because yeah. there's not enough collecting in your system yet. So you could come again really quickly because those nerves on your penile nerves are fresh. Yeah. So, could tip you, so you could have a, a proper multiple orgasm for male body yeah. that are literally back to back with two sets of nerves. Yeah. And then your world would change because you see like, oh, when you feel it in your own body, you go like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Because yeah. Yeah. So that's one of my. <laughs> so anybody who's been hesitant about, about anal play, here you go. If that doesn't convince you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you're going to have a double orgasm. It's kind of weird and strange. And I'm like, the first time I did it, I like almost cry a little. I go like, oh, I've been missing out all my life. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go through the grieving process of, of what you've missed. Yeah. yeah because of cultural yeah. shaming and, and messages that don't, that, that inhibit us. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, even like I've learned, I think, I think that like leaning towards more of a, a penile or like internal sensation, external sensation is so individualized. It doesn't automatically, when you discover and learn, it doesn't automatically shift your preference. I think that's what most guys are afraid of. What if I really like it and it's all I ever think about? Like, yeah, you're not I gay now just because you yeah. took it up the butt. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't, and that preference level usually don't shift dramatically. Like it does happen to some people. They go like, Oh, I really like this flavor. Like they only ate vanilla all their life and they try chocolate for yeah. the first time. And it's kind of like, I'm a chocolate guy. Yeah. Not necessarily. So you could discover a flavor, but still prefer your, your previous preference. So, so I think that's hopefully that removes some of that fear. Yeah. 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 And I've definitely pegged men before and, and, you know, they, they love it. Yeah. So, so uh, you have a testimonial from Dr. Cat over here and Kenneth play. We both say you should try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing that I really appreciate about what you're describing here is um, that I want to pinpoint for people because they think a lot of people can be confused about orgasms. You know, I hear, I read articles and they're like, there's nine different orgasms. There's this many orgasms, or there's you know, only three types of orgasms. And um, what I love about what you're saying, you're describing there are different nerves and that can create different textures in our body of pleasure and different, uh, you know, it helps us to understand more about like what we're talking about with A spot, P spot, um, G spot, because they're all hitting on different nerves. Can you explain mm -hmm. um, what that would look like for uh, if is that if that's different for female anatomy and a male anatomy? Yeah, and in, in the book, I actually like I did all the I did all custom diagram because there's not very useful one out in the internet. So I yeah. really mapped it out like the nerves between like male body and female body and how, where it lays. That's why the deeper anal stuff. So, but the concept I use is called pleasure wiring. So we might vary slightly in our exact location of where those nerve lies on a genital. So some people might be a little bit to the left, to the right. Everybody have their like spot. I have one new lover that her dorsal nerve is where they're usually connects to the clit. It's a little bit higher on her pubic mound. So when you touch the clit directly, nothing, but like, one and a half inch above her clit on her pubic mound, 
like fireworks. Yeah. So there is the idea of pleasure wiring that everybody varies a little bit because of where the physical nerve location, right? So like every different phone has different button location, but <laughs> the power button is still there kind of thing, right? So, yeah, yeah. so you have to discover that unique uh, genital, like where the, the nerves lay out. And there's four distinct nerve from that goes back to your brain, which is the most important because that subjective ha experience happened in your brain. But what is really cool is that if you able to, so I use the term, I think a lot of people use it, pleasure mapping, right? So you have to understand where the pleasure wiring map that you, uh, individual. And then to me is all the various spot of orgasm is just that you have like different keys on a piano, right. That you can make music with. Yeah. So I think in scientific culture, we really want to isolate one particular key to induce a orgasm. And we want to associate that orgasm with that one spot. Uh -huh. But in practice, they're usually like, some people might really like isolation, but most of I think uh, many people would prefer like a blend of the different keys. Yeah. And what I have found that is useful with this concept where the nerves and how it works is that you could actually think of, I mean, I taught fitness for so long. So I use a lot of fitness or cooking analogies, my favorite mm -hmm. things. <laughs> so it's like sort of circuit training. So you could like, like you could start with like, you know, uh, external stimulation to the clit, then you could work the G spot and then you could do cervical or anal, or you could do a combo of like anal and clitoris. Right. And you give time for the other nerve to rest. So you could keep the orgasm going because one is fresh. The other one is just, you know, going through one cycle. Mm -hmm. So you, so to me is really about like, there's no, uh, just, I mean, you could play the just one key, but it's about understanding their, all the notes that this particular piano could make and then what kind of music that arouses that particular person the most. So I think yeah. combining those are really useful, but isolating is it helps you in the mapping process. So, yeah. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, you use the word calibration, you know, to be able to know exactly where these parts are. So you know how to play the piano, this particular piano. Yeah. And then it's also changes with time, right? Because like yeah. how you like something in the beginning might change in their, at the end. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I learned recently, we were nerding out a little bit before this podcast started about this idea about entrainment, like this mm. sort of psychedelic experience where rhythm kind of takes you over. Like I remember last time I was on acid at a festival where the music feels like I'm one with the music. It just everything yeah. in that state. So their hypothesis is that the orgasm is actually quite similar to get into that state where like rhythm, like when you're yeah. just about there, it stays on rhythm. So if you break rhythm, that's yeah. why it's like the most annoying thing is that when you're doing something really good and people got into rhythm and you decided to change some shit, that's when it's the most annoying because I was getting there and then you switch. So for, for <laughs> any of you who like to give, when things are going well, stick with it. Stay on rhythm. <laughs> uh, so I think getting into rhythm is, is really important when it comes to calibrating. So once you're in rhythm, mm -hmm. then stay with that rhythm and without changing much. But you could also play different notes within that rhythm without working rhythm. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's like... EDM music, you know, you like the EDM music at the ones that, that just go, da -da 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 -da, but then they like do a da -da -da, and you're like, oh, it just feels good. Yeah, but, but you there's still a longer have that pattern. Layer there's still there. a layer yeah. pattern. Yeah. But you could like <laughs> play it with a longer timeline because it's not, you know, yeah, it, it's beautiful when it, it, you could turn it into music, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. Such a beautiful, beautiful description. Um, there's something I want to tie back to that you mentioned earlier and you brought up the, another word, um, uh, giver in that moment. Um, this concept of like giving and receiving these roles of giving, receiving, uh, and we experience very optimal states of pleasure when we can take the opposite, like the polarity, you know, the, the opposite ends of those roles, we can be fully present with that role. One pattern that I see often come into my office or come to my classes is, um, either parts, uh, partners who are, who are complaining this, uh, how do I say this? <laughs> Typically men, however, I'll open this to all genders. Uh, will have a difficult time with being the receiver, being in the receiving role. So they'll keep putting themselves into the giver role and giving the action or the pleasure to the other person. And when the person says, well, okay, now it's your turn. I want to give to you. They're like, no, 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 this is just for you. Uh, I just want to give to you. And I'm my, from my perspective, I'm picking up on insecurity there. Um, there's a very vulnerable, it's very vulnerable to receive. It's very vulnerable to relax. And I, I'm curious if you see this pattern in men or if you, and what are your thoughts or what would you suggest to somebody? Well, I definitely identify with that personally because from being in the sex educator role or doing similar work like sexological body work where it's more one-way touch, right? Mm. I think Betty Martin really talks about like, you know, one is giving, one is receiving. The other version is that I'm taking, right? And then yeah. the other person is allowing. So there's different, mm-hmm. there's different, there's different flavor of that. So one on receiving, you could be receiving as in this person is giving you sensation and you just relaxing. You're not generating the sensation yourself. So I think the vulnerability comes with one, it, it's definitely more vulnerable to be on like the allowing state right because yeah. it's in a level of trust on the second i think the second part is that when people don't know how to get what they want in sex it's harder to ask for receiving because one sometimes people don't want to disappoint the other partner yeah. it's like what you're doing is not working for me but i don't i feel bad about saying that to you so it's like it's easier for me to generate the sensation because i know yeah. how to make my own body feel good so I think they're having, they're developing the skill for sexual, sexual communication where you could calibrate and talk about how you like to be touched is really important. So that's the play lap portion. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people could drop in really easily from not learning how to receive or be in the receptive role. Then all of a sudden go like, well, I should receive now and be there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think from like a philosophy standpoint, you're not allowing yourself to receive you also taking from the giver because it's a very really pleasurable experience for someone to be able to give to you so mm-hmm. if you're not willing to receive you are taking in the sense you're taking away the pleasure of this person who wants to give it to you so i think the the balance of a two-way streak works really well and it doesn't have to be one like 50 50 right because yeah. it up and flow but yeah. I think um, allowing yourself to uh, taste both flavor is, is is good and important. Yeah, and uh, even connect if with a conversation if if that is a pattern or if there is you know we're having a difficult time with um, invite with our partner taking on that different role. This this gives them a little more um, material to sit with and question and get curious about 
oh, maybe there is something that I'm trying to protect from. I, you know, uh, to solve this problem, I was thinking like what sex hack back in the day would really help. So if you're on the receiving end and the giving end, like I play this game called a pleasure loop game. So you're, the game is like, okay, so it's sort of like you're getting your Uber app. You want to make sure that you, the Uber is coming closer to you. Like there's progress. <laughs> yeah. Very annoying when you don't get feedback. It's like, well, why are you stopped <laughs> yeah. for a whole 30 seconds? <laughs> So, so the job of the receiver is to give accurate live feedback on where the car is. <laughs> is it moving or not moving? <laughs> and the giver needs to know where to go, right? Like where to go. So we break down the instruction to more sim- like to only three things mm-hmm. to make it a little easier. So you give location feedback, like higher, lower, left, right, more pressure or less pressure, right? And then speed. So there's only three things that you got to say yeah. to calibrate. And the last part is that when it starts to feel good, you have to give a consistent feedback that the person know that they're on track. So it could be in variation of sound, breath, or touch. So you could squeeze a little harder if you don't like to talk, or you could verbalize it, or you could moan. But you have to give a feedback that that person know that the car is coming. So if you could get into rhythm, I have found that people could really drop into it much quicker if you give them that framework, at least in yeah. the beginning. Then once they calibrate it, it's much easier afterward. Yeah, yeah. And I love you breaking it down into just three points to remember because most of us turn really stupid in the United States of arousal or yeah. we become wordless. I have many clients who are like, I can't talk. And so I love the, you know, it really is just three things to, to think about and feedback. I think that's also good to keep in mind that doing the calibration phase is supposed to be awkward. So embrace the awkward because that's that part, that portion will pass. Yeah. I mean, like being a video game nerd, right? Like you're like reading the stupid instruction in the beginning after you learn (laughs) it once you don't have to do it again. It's not like endless tutorial. It's like just for a small investment for a lifelong pleasure. These roles of even giving and receiver and where you were talking about allowing versus taking, you know, there's so many nuances in this, um, even just in the words giving and receiving, right? You know, we can receive and allow versus we can receive and we can take. And in your book, um, I love your book. <laughs> you went through so many different techniques and, and, and um, there was one that stood out to me and it was face sitting. And face sitting from this perspective of both, you can be in a space of allowing the other person's tongue to do their thing, or you can take the, or you can take, you can be in the role of taking and you gyrate your hips and move your hips and allow their tongue to be completely flat and using their face to essentially like self-pleasure yourself. And I thought that was such a cool representation of these nuances. Yeah, I, I I credit that to Betty Martin. I think her her model is so useful, like especially the four minute game, you know, and the whole. It, once those that diagram makes sense to me, like that consent game is so important because then you have a framework to think about. Am I trying to take or I'm trying to to allow? And the other thing that I think might be really useful for female body or you have a vulva 
is that you have to learn how to take because that is such a like you know when you masturbate you are moving your own body to create sensation that you like so i think the more reliable path to have consistent orgasm like most penises and most guys is that they know how to make themselves come using someone else's body mm-hmm. right so i think you can't like if your only recipe for sex is that i'm just going to receive 100% meaning not doing anything to generate the sensation Mm-hmm. So I think you should master both, but the more reliable one is definitely one that you know how to move your body, generate sensation. So, like riding on top is super important. Rubbing your own clit while you're receiving penetration is super important. And mm-hmm. or a lot, I think a lot of vulvas, uh, people with vulva, learn how to hump things in the beginning. Like, oh, yeah. oh I know how I know how to grind one out. Like, <laughs> use that skill in in partner sex as well. I think is is, is so reliable. Yeah. Yeah. And even to remind people, you know, we're talking about these, about these tools, riding on top or learning how to take. And for many people, because of the cultural uh, messages around, you know, what that means, if you're taking, you know, you're going to be selfish or you're, you're going to be a slut or whatever to remind people that these may be edges that we might have a lot of emotion come up, or we might come up with a lot of hesitancy and resistance there. And that's part of the evolutionary process of this. Yeah, if done correctly, I think the erotic space really allow us to explore all those things in a, like if we put it in the right container with the right level of like uh, putting other people's uh, well-being above your own desire and your own needs and you're able to negotiate like a proper king scene, let's just say, or, or any sexual experiences, then we could play with those edges way easier. And I, I think like kinksters especially like they came up with so many different communication models to negotiate those edgier plays so it it, so it's definitely a space that you could have those experience it's more like you is i call it safe danger you know it's like like a roller coaster like you want the seatbelt but you want the danger so you combine both it's really fun yeah and how important attuning is in that process our ability to read our partners so that we know what where where they're at in that edge. (laughs) Is this an edge that's still sexy? Is this an edge that now we're crying and and we're processing, you know, childhood challenges or cultural conditioning? Yeah, that's what I love about your paper when when you talk about, I think it's six couples that you... Oh, my research paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Research paper. Yeah, about how to confront that, negotiate it, and talk about it. Like developing those those like uh, EQ to do that. Yeah, yeah, coming together. And I think sometimes we we think of negotiation as like uh, we have to self sacrifice something, but I don't believe that that you know that doesn't contribute to anybody's sexual satisfaction. It's about learning how can we find an agreement where both people get what they need rather than just one. Mm-hmm. This whole conversation, I'm like, I'm loving um, the concept of con- consent. Uh, that's this is the last piece that I really want to introduce here because I think that can be very confusing for a lot of people. You know, we've been taught, you know, no means no, um, or but then we're also trying to read body language and we're trying to like stay in a scene, and that can probably trip up a lot of people who want to keep it sexy but also want to make sure that it's safe or um, these these times where things can become a little blurry or gray and we're not quite sure what we're reading in somebody how would you help them what do you tell people to help navigate these gray zones as it relates to consent 
Well, I think the first thing is that like you should would play with should it's a tough word, but this is my personal recommendation. Yeah. Like if you're playing with people that would choose your well-being over their self-interest, like as the as the sort of requirement to engage. So like so that's the baseline, right? Um that makes life a lot easier because if you could trust that, then most things work out well. The second part is I really love uh, Dr. Jana's uh, model when it comes to the gray zone. So you have two, two sides of one is wantedness, like how bad do you really want this thing? And then the other one is your communication. How ambiguous was your communication? So mm-hmm. is it clear? And we, you know, most human decision is not exactly like a hell yes or a hell no, yeah. right? It's so many level of wantedness for various reasons. I want to get close to my partner, but I'm not really in the mood. But did I say yes or did I say no? Or did I give something completely like I could, I could, you could totally want something and still say no. Yeah. So to really, so I think what is really uh, beautiful about her model. I should just interview her for the audiobook as bonus content. And the way she described it is a really good internal check. Like, where am I on the scale of wantedness? Mm. Right. And the other one is what did I actually communicate? Did I mm-hmm. communicate clearly where I'm at? And sometimes you could also, before you actually make a decision, you could tell people the state of wantedness, like that you're in, but you could yeah. still communicating something different. But I think the clearer the signal the less trouble you will be in yeah. when you communicate uh, very clearly about what you want and don't want. And you could also communicate and go like, well, I want it, but I have this concern. So you can negotiate a little bit better. So those yeah. two check, what did I actually communicate? How much do I want it? Which is and, very human because we have these different parts inside of us with different perspectives or different needs and wants. And sometimes they can be conflicting. So it makes sense why verbally, wouldn't come out as congruently as our somatic body response. So here you're saying, you know, slow down and check in with that. Yeah, I think slowing down and checking in because a sex could totally pause or it could be rescheduled, right? Or it could never happen again. But most people think if you stop to check in, you ruin sex. So I think embracing those awkward moments, those pauses, (laughs) it's not like porn, it's never like perfect. Yeah. you know, edit it, right? So you you could, <laughs> you could actually slow down and check in. And and also like about reading signals. So like one, we put one responsibility on going like, well, did you communicate this clearly, right? Mm-hmm. If you're on the receiving end of people's communication, if you feel like the answer is ambiguous, I think there's probably a good idea for you to check in and go like, did you really mean what you say? Mm-hmm. So if you are on the listening end and the answer is ambiguous, is your also is your responsibility to check in? Like, did I hear this correctly? Mm-hmm. Matters quite a bit. So, and I don't think there's one prescription that works for all. That's why there's so many different, even within Kingster, there are so many variation of all those rules and dungeon rules or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So I think human interaction is complicated, as you know, being a therapist, right? But o- overall, I think those are helpful if we check in with how much we want, what we actually communicate, what we actually heard. Yeah. And then care about other people's well-being before your own sexual urges and need. That's so important. Because like you were saying earlier, we need to create that safety in order for us to go up to those edges and explore, explore even just novelty. You know, again, yeah. we, we need to feel safe in order to be able to do that. There's yeah. um, being in the kink community as well. There's There's two 
techniques that I had, that I had been given that I've used since. And they're amazing. Um, one is asking the, asking the person what makes your yes, a yes. So that the person pauses and and gets to check in with themselves. And then the other one is, um, you know, so you maintain the scene, you maintain the polarity between your topping and their bottoming, um, of, is that a yellow or is that a red so that you can still stay in the scene, but it's still a check-in. Yeah. <laughs> I've and loved you, those. You want to increase the resolution of how clear that your, your communication is. Yeah. So when you have like more defined terms, I think it really helps people. But then the unknown is so goddamn sexy. So it's a balance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So make sure yeah, you have safety with this person. Yeah. This person has yeah. your pleasure in the forefront, your yeah. care. Yeah. Especially with new people, you know, uh, I, I definitely have learned from my own mistakes and how to negotiate sex and, and with people because when they're less the less history that you have for the person, the more opportunity that you could misinterpret. So I think err on the safer side in the beginning as you develop more certainty on the communication, I think it really helps. So like take your time is, is what I also think is super important. I Yes, highlight that shit right there. That's an excellent, excellent uh, advice. This Actually, this whole episode is excellent advice. So I encourage everybody to pause it, <laughs> write the notes, Send it to your partner. <laughs> it's all in this book. <laughs> and the book is yeah. amazing. I really, really enjoyed it. I highlighted this, a lot in it. This is the special edition hardcover that I'm making. And the droplet is actually wet. So, I, yeah, you could see it. Stop it. So, yeah. So, I can't wait to send you one. <laughs> yes, I want it. <laughs> Uh, Beyond Satisfied is his book, and I highly recommend. You also have an online program, which I had also checked out, which is really great. It's it's live or it's uh, uh, it's video where you actually get to see him doing these techniques. I loved it. There's not enough sex educators who do the in depth showing of what you're doing with the techniques and uh, um, nude bodies. And I highly, highly appreciate that. As a therapist, I'm not able to do that. <laughs> so I love you educators like you who can be able to show that. Yeah, I, I love using my fitness background on like the show and tell side. And then mm-hmm. I actually added uh, quite a bit of like effort into creating the right education models. I was thinking how people, like I was studying how people learn you know, how mm-hmm. they acquire a skill is really useful to have a section where you're doing the show and tell and you kind of go do the awkward stage with them and you walk them through and then show them in like in-game footage. So it's like if Steph Curry is going to teach you how to do a jump shot, like mm-hmm. a signature jump shot, then he will, you know, break down the technique. Then he will show you a video how he applied it in the championship game. So yeah. I think the combination Oof. of both is, is yeah. where the magic is because you have to yeah. see it in both. You have to see it in both contexts uh, in order for it to be magical. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. How can people find you? Uh, obviously they can get your book online, but where can they find you? So you can find me at canonplay.com where you can find my book Beyond Satisfy and my online course, Sex Hacker Pro, which has over 12 hours of content, 70 plus video. I'm adding more. I'm adding more content on squirting via anal because i was like oh i i just i i wrote it in the book but i didn't put in the video courses so i'm adding that content which is which is, i have a technique called release the kraken 
because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I want one Easter egg, but it really works. I can't believe it works. So, so if you get to try anything in 2023, <laughs> I hope you try that. <laughs> release the kraken 2023 yeah. the year of the kraken <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this has been so fun with you you're just epic i'm glad that that we were able to vibe here and drop all the knowledge thank you so much i, I really enjoyed this conversation well that was fun thanks for tuning in lovers And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.